We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. The Chicago Bulls select Kobe White. Levine with the runway! Welcome to Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. We're brought to you by the Blue Wire Network. We're brought to you by Indeed and Bet Online. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. I'm here as always with Jason Pat. Jason, the Bulls, we can now say, are back. They are back. Uh, last week was media week. Usually it's just media day, but with this these uh, unique, unique situation we're still in with the pandemic and all that, it was media week where uh, all the guy, all the players, coaches... And AK talked on the first day, just did their Zoom calls and all that. So a lot of stuff happened, obviously. Uh, just obviously, we, we, I guess we could go back to the very beginning again. Just a lot of content to go back to. And AK talked on the first day, and I don't think he's talked since, but naturally he just kind of gave a state of what's, what's going on and talked about the offseason, which we have, we've obviously talked a bit about the quiet offseason, um, where basically they added, they drafted Patrick Williams, they added Garrett Temple, they added a few other lesser guys, Devin Dotson, Noah Vonley, Zach Cavallo Jr. They just signed a, a 20th man to their roster, Shimmy Shitu, Shitu, I'm not totally sure, but they have a full roster now, but very, very few moves. So AK just kind of came out and basically said nothing interesting, which is, which is not a surprise. Like, it did not surprise me at all. Let me just pull up some of the stuff that he said. Uh, our guy Matt at Bloggable, I know, has been. Uh, a little consternation there about this quiet offseason and some of AK's comments just about the quiet offseason. He talked about how we're pretty happy with the roster that we had. and uh, We didn't have a lot of wiggle room with the salary cap. So we're, we're going to look at our roster and evaluate, see what our long-term goals, which is kind of – I mean, obviously that's kind of been stuff we've been talking about, how we didn't expect much to happen. They basically are going into this with an evaluation, banking on – uh, banking on player development. I wrote something at Forbes about that uh, last week. Just, just classic exec speak after a very quiet offseason. It's basically what you would expect. And like I said, Matt was not happy. I know other people not happy with the lack of moves. We've talked about this, how we thought that they could have done more. And that since we have talked, they have not really. They've added a 20th player to the roster, but I mean that's a guy that's not going to make the team. Uh, they have not made any other moves. So this, this basically seems like the roster they're going with. Uh, AK seems to be pretty happy with Sarasar. Maybe he's lying. Maybe he's bullshitting. Maybe it's typical just uh, front office, like I said, exec stuff. But uh, I really just can't look that much into it. I I always take the uh, the media day kind of stuff with a grain of salt anyways. I know we got so used to Garpax just giving us a whole bunch of bullshit. And honestly, this probably was not that much different. But being the start of 
a new regime and uh, just given the situation they were in, it does not really bother me that much at all that he basically said nothing and said nothing of consequence at all. So does that upset you at all? Just kind of saying that, oh, he's fine with what's going on. I'm I'm just assuming it's like kind of a whatever, it's throwaway stuff. Yeah, I was I thought that there were some positive takeaways from Media Day, and we're going to get into those on the rest of this episode. But, you know, you can start with uh, the team acknowledging that they're not just going to be straight up blitzing ball handlers anymore defensively. Uh, How Donovan talked about letting Wendell Carter flesh out his perimeter skill set offensively, I thought was really promising and everything we had been hoping to see the last two seasons. Uh, All indications are that Kobe White's going to be the starting point guard. We can dive more into that. But I did think there were like some positive signs. Uh, Yeah, outside of like AK. Like I said, AK was just boring and lame. But like there definitely was other interesting stuff there with with Donovan as well. Just Donovan sounding actually like like a real coach and – competent like so we'll talk about, about more about some of the stuff that he said and he's implementing in a bit but just like after like ak was boring and all that and then donovan talked and he was just and he just actually sounded like a professional coach and just nice to have that instead of a just total buffoon like jim boylan yeah absolutely i think that you know in this is the only substantial move the Bulls made. They're basically saying, well, we had the worst head coach in the league last <laughs> yeah. year. So even if we get back to just average coaching, uh, we think that that will help us both build back the value of our own guys and evaluate our own guys. Now, of course, the Bulls never should have been in this situation. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous that this is where they're at after three years of a rebuild, right? That, like, you still don't feel confidence in evaluating your own guys. Now they're at least bringing in Karnaschovas and Eversley to do it. Uh, they didn't make any, you know, uh, quick changes or substantial changes to the foundation of the roster in their first offseason, like some of the other new executives around the league. Obviously, I think they will have to do it moving forward. But what we basically have going into this bowl season is a year where not much has changed from last year's preseason mindset, where you're kind of like, well, let's see how the young guys develop. Uh we have Otto Porter in the mix. Well, my expectations for Otto Porter have taken a nosedive from this time last year where I thought he was the best player on the team to this year. You know, you see videos of him uh, partying in the time of COVID. Uh, there were some videos circulating on Twitter of him in practice getting blown by off the dribble from Patrick Williams. So you got to wonder if Otto's in shape, if Otto's ready to go, especially in a shortened season that's going to happen in a condensed time frame. Trying he claims to he is. 72 <laughs> games in. Yeah, well, we'll see. Because like he should be the best player on the team. Uh, well, he should be the one guy on the team who contenders could really benefit from having. Right. Yeah, like, I mean, he kind of he's kind of just like a glue guy who can like that's when when they traded for him. We thought you know like the Bulls needed a small forward, and he was just kind of a glue guy who could bring like their their like they have a nice front court, young front court, and you have Zach Levine in the backcourt. And we thought that out of Porter, they needed that small forward that he could just kind of be the glue that brings it together as a legit three and D guy. We know that he's like when he's healthy, like he's a really good shooter. Uh, when the, the Athletic did those tiers earlier uh, in the offseason, like Otto Porter graded out really well, basically the best on the Bulls, like you said. In terms of like impact stats, like when he's healthy, like he can be pretty good and an actual impactful player. So, uh, but just like yeah, the health reasons and this other stuff you mentioned with the off court stuff, like it's hard to have the faith in him right now. So, so yeah, basically the hope for the Bulls this year is that. Uh, with a better, significantly better coach, and then you gotta think that they're they're trying to stay healthy, right? They finally made some changes to the training staff. Uh, they were one of the top five most injured teams in the league last year, I think, in terms of games lost. So obviously, like they lost so much time from so many key pieces last year that uh, they felt like you know they couldn't make any final evaluations on the roster. So now. You have a new front office and, and Karnaschovas and Eversley certainly aren't tipping their hand very much. I feel like that's been a theme throughout the time that they've been in charge. Uh, but we are starting to learn a little bit more of just like where this season's going to be different in terms of approach. And I think that most of it is pretty, pretty exciting right now. But then, uh, you know, we also had the schedule release last yes. week. Yes, yep. You know, it was hard to look at that schedule and see many W's for the Bulls, right? Like when you actually go through it, you're like, wow, this could get rough pretty quickly. Yeah, like, some people yeah. who think that, you know, the Bulls kind of got screwed over by the schedule makers. But 
I sort of think this is just sort of what happens when you're the 25th best team in the league or, you know, the 23rd best team in the league. There's not a lot of rosters around the league that the Bulls clearly have a talent advantage over. And when you're operating from a talent deficit, uh, it's just hard to pencil the team into a bunch of wins. So, you know, this is sort of where the Bulls are at coming into this season. They've told us straight up they're going to continue to evaluate the young core from the previous front office. They're going to hope the coaching change makes a difference. And I do think that sort of what we're starting to hear out of Donovan uh, in terms of some just minor coaching adjustments could be really positive. And the first thing that we're going to see, apparently, is Kobe White at point guard. Yeah, uh, it, so- it sounds like he's kind of mixing in with a lot. And But obviously, yeah, they said that Do- or Kobe said that Donovan told him that he will likely be starting at point guard. He started just one game last year in his rookie season. It was that last game against the Cavs. Uh, he had like nine or ten turnovers after Sadoransky started all year. But, I mean, it's the right move considering they did not bring in a uh, bring in a veteran point guard there uh, that he he should absolutely start. You're not going to go out and start Tomas Sadoransky again. Like, what, the, what would be the point of that? They're going to come out of here and they're going to give Kobe White his shot. Uh, against a, And you mentioned the hard schedule. I wrote something at Forbes last week about just kind of mixing in how the Bulls are kind of going to be thrown into the fire with Kobe White starting at point guard, getting that opportunity against – what looks like a very difficult early schedule. Those like first 20 games, the majority are against teams that uh, made the playoffs last year. I know like the first couple games, like in the, those December games, like they play the Haw- they open the season against the Hawks. They have like, they play the Warriors. They have a couple against the Wizards. Well, those aren't playoff teams. I mean, the Warriors should be much better. Hawks made big improvements. Uh, the, the Wizards just traded for Russell Westbrook. And while I don't know how much that moves the needle, like in terms of them being a contender, I think the Wizards will probably that probably makes them a legit playoff team, at least in the regular season. Russ is still a very good regular season player. So, and then I think the other game was the Pacers. And then if you look at January, uh, the schedule is pretty brutal. They go out west. Uh, they got the Lakers a couple times. They got the Blazers a couple times. I think the Celtics a couple times. Uh, like the the few games they have against work, bad teams, like the Thunder, like that's a winnable game. The Kings, but that's on the second of a back to back. So just a bunch of tough games in those first couple months, those first 20 games, like, like you said, like hard to pencil in a lot of wins, but I like it. I like the fact that Kobe White and just the team in general is going to be thrown into the fire so we can really see what they have. And we can, uh, we talk about a season of, of evaluation. Let's see what they have against these good teams um, instead of like crap teams. They, they, I know they play, they finally play like the Knicks a couple times in uh, I think February, but like between like the Knicks, Cavs, Pistons, like those are the really bad teams we're looking at this year, especially in the East. They don't play a team like that until February. So all these earlier games are against good teams. We'll see what Kobe White's made of. He talked about how he's motivated uh, after hearing the rumors. He admitted he sees he's on social media. He sees uh, the reports and rumors talking about the Bulls maybe looking for a veteran point guard or looking for drafting a point guard possibly. Uh, he's using that as motivation. He thinks he's taking a leap in terms of his decision-making, his finishing, his pull-up shooting, which are obviously all big skills. He'll need as that point guard. He needs to get better in pick and roll in terms of being a playmaker and his decision-making there and his finishing. I mean, I have my questions about if he'll ever be able to be a legitimate big-time finisher on the rim. Just his, he's, a bit, he's not short, but like he's kind of weak. He's not the strongest guy. We'll see, though. He says he's made these, adjust, these, he's made these improvements, and we'll hopefully see right away because then we can hopefully get a good idea of what this Bulls team can be. If they come out and they're a total disaster, uh, then I think you've got to start looking at making big moves for the future and maybe trading some pieces away. But if they come out and actually play really well, then you'll probably feel a lot better about a Kobe White, and you'll feel better about this team under Billy Donovan. I, as I said, I, I, I love the fact that they have this uh, supposedly tougher schedule again with – COVID and with guy, would if guys test positive, they miss time. If there's rests, rest if teams rest guys with this condensed schedule. I know that some stuff came out today about like they don't want teams resting players on in national TV games, but the Bulls really don't have to worry about that. They don't play national TV games, so you wonder if while the Bulls play some of these really good teams early, maybe they rest the rest guys in, in the games against the Bulls. Maybe they could take advantage of that kind of stuff. I don't know, but either way, the fact that they are playing all these good teams early. I, I I like it. I think it's great. Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of who was starting at point guard, I probably would have started Sadoransky. And no, I don't know where. <laughs> What's up? I said, no way. I, I, I saw yeah. enough of that last year. He's a good backup. I wouldn't, I didn't want to do For that sure. Again. But my issue with Kobe, though, is like, first of all, I think he, what he showed last year is he's really good as a microwave scorer. Yeah, for uh, sure. In terms of like being a lead playmaker, he is like 
leaps and bounds to continue making. And what scares me a little bit is like, I could very, I feel like every fucking bull season ends being like, well, we're just not sure if we can evaluate Jerry and Grant yet because we don't have the right structure around him. And like, well, now, you know, you extend that out and it's like, well, are you going to, how are you going to be able to evaluate Lowry and Carter if you don't have like a natural playmaker running the show? Donovan has talked about getting Carter more involved in like dribble handoffs and as a facilitator, that's all good. But mostly it's going to be Kobe's job to have the ball in his hands and to facilitate a lot of the offense, especially in the half court. In last year, he only had a 16.5% assist rate, which as someone who looks at that stat a lot while doing draft analysis, that's really low. Uh, To put that in layman's terms, per 36, he averaged under four assists a game. So if you're expecting him to take on a high-level playmaking role this year. Where he's at right now is when the Mavericks tweeted out, or the Magic tweeted out that graphic of, I think, Shelvin Mack back in the day where they're like, Shelvin Mack, team leader in assists, 3.8 a game. It's like, well, Kobe definitely has more scoring ability than Shelvin Mack was providing, but it's like, this is the level of playmaking we're talking about right now. So I do worry a little bit about how giving Kobe a huge playmaking burden is going to impact the evaluations on the rest of the roster. I think that's a big red flag. Uh, but, you know, I, I do – part of me is, like, just totally fine with it too because, like, yeah. what really are the Bulls playing for this year? Like, we're, we're evaluating. What? So you might as well evaluate him and let him do it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you will be able to get a read on Kobe, right? And even if Kobe struggles this year – and it's important to remember last season that while he did have some good games, he shot under 40% from the field – and he still has like a ton of red flags in the statistical profile. As yep. you mentioned, his ability to get to the foul line, his ability to get and finish in, get to the paint, finish inside of the paint, and just basically like scoring efficiency, right? But we know he can be a volume three point shooter, especially off the dribble. He took like half of his shots from three point range. He has like really good tough shot making ability. I think uh, you know you saw that in so many clips when he's like hitting step backs that you normally don't see a nineteen year old hit. So he has some uh, he has some definite pluses in his skill set. No one would argue against that. Uh, and I am excited to see what he can do at point guard, but I still think that the Bulls are going to be missing a big playmaking presence, and I just wonder how that's going to affect the evaluation of the rest of the roster. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's why I think we wanted them to bring in another option. Like I said, they do have Sadoransky there, and then – they have Renard Giacono, Devin Dotson, a two-way guy. But that's I think we wanted a more legitimate playmaker on the roster just to get to help those other guys. As so you talk about evaluation, and I like I said, I want Kobe to start since they did not make another move. I want Kobe to start, let him sink or swim out there. And you hope that he does swim. But if he doesn't, then like how does how much will that hurt guys like Larry Markin and Wendell Carter? And again, you you mentioned how it sounds like they're definitely going to give Wendell more responsibilities. In terms of shooting, in terms of being that hub of the offense uh, at the high post and that and that kind of stuff, which is what we've been calling for. So that's really good to see. But again, he's very so far in the NBA, he has not really done it. He is un uh, unproven in that area. So like they, it could easily go wrong. So Wilson, that's why we that's why the, getting bringing in another point guard was something we we have talked about and we wish they'd have done. They haven't. So at this point, since they didn't, I'm good with Kobe White. Uh, before we move on, let's uh, take a quick word from our sponsors. Indeed and Bet Online. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. And Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. Only pay for what you need, and you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job, job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. are visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore Total Visits. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. So try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win all season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season bonuses right now and start off wagering on a variety of bets throughout the football landscape. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all their great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. We are back. Cash Considerations, HR Bulls podcast, going over the last week of Bulls basketball. They're back in training camp. They just had their media week, so we've learned quite a bit. Uh, about how the Bulls are going to approach the season. We obviously knew this was going to be an evaluation season, as we talked about. Uh, and now, and we talked about Kobe White being the starting point guard. Now, I guess talking about some of the strategies, some of the defensive schemes, some changes from last year. You kind of mentioned this at the top of the bra- of the of the podcast about how the Bulls' defense, while it was actually statistically decent last season, I believe they ranked around the top ten under under Jim Boylan. There was a lot of consternation out there about the Bulls' defense last season because of the crazy blitzing that they always did on pick and rolls. Uh, they blitzed, I believe, something like three times more than the, the second place team. Just way, just insane amount. It was super gimmicky. It forced a lot of turnovers. It did work in, in certain situations, especially early in games, especially against bad teams. But as games went on, as teams made adjustments, and as teams got better, and as the Bulls got did, had suffered some injuries to key guys like Chris Dunn and Wendell. That defense just fell apart all the time, and it, and it fell apart late in crunch time, late in games, which makes sense. You're blitzing so much on defense, it's going to get you tired. Uh, Rob Schaefer at NBC Sports Chicago did a great breakdown about this, and I uh, kind of followed up on him, something over a bloggable, just about the blitzing defense and how Billy Donovan is going to move away a bit from that. Daniel Gafford kind of broke the news over the weekend about it, how they're going to go to a more drop coverage conservative uh which which just makes a lot of sense. That doesn't mean they're not going to be blitzing at all. Like it's obviously makes sense. They have some guys who can who can run that kind of defense. Like you could you can do it with Wendell. You could do it with Daniel Gafford. Uh, but, but going to the uh, more conservative drop defense, which is what uh, Donovan did a bit more with, like Stephen Adams at center, just makes a lot of sense. Uh, it'll hopefully help the team in crunch time. It'll hopefully keep them. Uh, a bit more fresh. I know Zach Levine had a quote just kind of talking about how it should help them uh, with the fatigue factor because he, he mentioned specifically how that hurt them late in games, how they were kind of tired from running that defense. Just like I said, it was kind of a gimmick. Uh, Ricky, I'm assuming you think this is a good move. Like I said, as as much as it kind of helped the Bulls defense at times last year, just uh, when it really mattered against good teams late in games, it just got blown apart all the time. So I feel like playing Varying the styles a bit more, going a bit more conservative at times with Wendell Carter and Dan, and Daniel Gafford, another even like Lowry if he wants to play center, if you want to have if you want to give Luke Cornett minutes, I feel like just going with this coverage as their base defense as opposed to just the the nonstop blitzing just is the way to go, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned Rob's article on NBC Sports Chicago. That was a really great breakdown of. Uh, how the Bulls used the blitz last year, when it was effective, and when other teams were really able to take advantage of it. And yeah, uh, you know, he had a stat in there that the Bulls used the blitz three times more than yeah. the second place team in the league. So that was absolutely the foundation of the Bulls' defense last year. And to me, it's really promising that uh, Donovan immediately identified the need to switch up pick and roll coverages. And I feel like we see this in the playoffs when the games get really high level every year is that you need to have a team that can play a variety of pick and roll coverages. I find that you're, or at least I, I think that your front court is where you get the most defensive versatility in terms of, uh, how you're allowed to defend pick and rolls. And I think the Bulls have a pretty good defensive big man in Wendell Carter. Like he's yep, for sure. the longest. He's not the quickest. He's not, you know, the most explosive, but he's smart. He has great instincts. He's disciplined. So Carter is already like, you know, when the Bulls took Carter, I think he's I really liked the pick at the time. And I think he's lived up to my expectations on the defensive end or surpassed them. Uh, there's typically a really like steep learning curve for a young big man entering the league. And uh, he's picked that up defensively, no doubt. 
So I think that, you know, with Carter is sort of the centerpiece of the defense or the anchor of the defense, which Donovan's already telling him he is, they should be able to switch it up more. And Carter was never a natural fit for a blitzing scheme. I think that he performed admirably uh, when he was asked to do it last year. But just being able to, like, do different things and switch it up in different ways is really going to help them. And, uh, you know, as Rob pointed out, while their blitzing scheme got them a ton of turnovers and the Bulls led the entire league in points off turnovers, it was, like, the most in, like, eight years uh, compared to the rest of the league, uh, they just gave up too many corner threes and too many shots at the rim. So, really, it was just, like, a high-risk, high-reward defense going to more of a conservative approach, which is just like the most sensible approach, playing drop coverage, you're going to have your defensive center at the rim now. So I think, you know, Carter's going to get more block opportunities. I would expect you to see Carter's rim protection statistics as block stats go way up this year. And also it could help about rebounding. With yep, rebounding. Yep. You pointed yep. that out at Bloggable. You also wrote about the blitzing scheme. And the Bulls were not a very good defensive rebounding team last year, oftentimes because their bigs were left out on the perimeter by the time a shot was going up. So uh, I think that this should have a huge effect on the Bulls. It's a no-brainer to do. It's exciting about Donovan. And I'm still sort of stuck in the same place where I'm like, yeah, like it's great that we're going to this sensible scheme, but like this should not represent such huge progress. Like just because this should have been the baseline from the beginning. So uh, for for so many reasons, Jason, it's just like last year was really a lost year. But yeah, I guess Brutal. did cost Gar Foreman his job at least. So. <laughs> yeah, like literally the only in terms of player development, it basically was a lost season. Like the the Boylan's defense like helped Chris Dunn uh, get his contract from the Hawks and uh, Sheck Harrison hasn't signed his new contract yet, but like it basically helped those two guys. Uh, like I said, they forced a lot of turnovers. Like this might be a situation where like, I don't know if the Bulls like overall defensive rating will be like that much better. Like hopefully it's around the same, but like, I just feel like when it actually like, matters, it'll just be a more consistent base of like against good teams that can rely on it more and just being a bit more versatile and a bit more, flexible so we just even though like their overall numbers were were defensive numbers were pretty good just because they, i think they were able to bum slay with that with all those turnovers forced it even gets a good team sometimes they're able to force a lot of turnovers and like early in games and kind of shut them down but i think just having a more consistent and stable base is something that they just like bank on more often because like again like once teams figured out uh the trapping stuff and were able to and and playing like good passing teams once they figure that out, like you mentioned, the shots at the rim and like corner threes, you make the right pass, you're getting a great look against that Bulls defense. So now hopefully, like when it matters against good teams, and especially in crunch time as well, I mentioned how they had literally the worst crunch time defensive rating uh, in the NBA last year, like that they'll be just more disciplined. They won't be scrambling as much in those situations, and that, that'll help them win games because they can get more stops in close games. They were in a lot of close games last year and they lost a lot of, a lot of games that were in uh, considered clutch situations, just like, like five points in the last four minutes, uh, five points in the last five minutes of OT, uh, fourth quarter in OT. Maybe they can actually get more stops. They could, that could uh, flip them the other way. Uh, They're not playing crazy blitz defense. Maybe that helps their crunch time offense, which I know also was not very good. And the offense in general was a huge problem. We can talk about their offense a bit. A bit more, uh, but yeah, I think just in general, like just having a more consistent base defense like that—that's just not so gimmicky and not so just aggressive. I think just should help this young team, and, and I think hopefully it help keep like guys like Carter and Gafford out of foul trouble. Like I said, they've already kind of talked about how they how they think that this should help them, It'll keep them around the basket more. You mentioned the rebounding, the block shots. Uh, just should, again, just hopefully it should be a, a bigger, just a big impact on this team, just a more consistent, stable defense. Yeah, totally agree. I think that, you know, it's so funny. You pointed this out. I didn't even realize that the Bulls ended the year number nine defensively in defensive rating. (laughs) But, you know, we had been talking about for the entire year just how brutal they were in third quarters coming out of halftime because teams would see, you know, how the Bulls were playing them, adjust very quickly, and a heady point guard or just a good facilitating big man would slip the screen and suddenly the Bulls would be at a disadvantage. And, you know, as long as you could keep the turnovers to a minimum, teams were just picking apart the Bulls. And what I thought was really wild was they were like basically the worst team in the league at clutch defense. Yeah. <laughs> so all yeah. of this should be corrected. Now you can talk about, you know, will some of the changes they make to the training staff or will just better luck 
help them just stay healthier. So if you could have more availability, which is what Wendell Carter talked about quite a bit uh, during media week, he said that, you know, his goal is to be there, be on the floor for all 72 games. Obviously he's battled a lot of injury problems each of his first two years in the league. Uh, If you squint your eyes a little bit, you can see some silver linings despite the fact that they didn't make any structural changes to the roster. So uh, it's media week. This is when we always talk ourselves into everything. (laughs) I still don't think the Bulls are a very good team, and I think looking at the schedule really sort of cements it. It does. These are positive changes, so we should at least acknowledge them as positive changes. Yeah. And then, like I mentioned, the offense, like that's going to have to be like we talk about the defense and like I think these changes should help defensively and hopefully they change offensively. Offensively, they were 29th in the NBA last year for like all this talk about all the young talent the Bulls have. Their offense was a fucking joke last season. 29th, only better than the Golden State Warriors, who basically could not have Steph Curry, not have Klay Thompson. And like it was just and basically the rest of the roster just was not very good. Uh, so yeah, so the Bulls, like as good as like a season that Zach Levine had and as fun as like Kobe was at times with his shooting, like the offense was a complete trash fire that has to get a lot better. Like if they're going to, if they're going to be in contention for a playoff spot or in the play in tournament, at least like that offense has to come up into at least probably to the, into the, like no worse than like the early, like early twenties in like offensive rating. Maybe they can get into the top 20 at least. Like I'm not asking them to all of a sudden become an elite offense, and I know they're talking about how the changes, like there's more ball. I mean, it's it's this, you hear that stuff all the time. We're running more, we're shooting more threes, like we're moving the ball more with Billy Don, which I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure they are. I'm sure that's more ideal. Uh, I, I I I would bet actually there are probably some more mid range shots in with Billy Donovan because we saw him with Chris Paul, and that was a that was a point of a talking point when they hired him, and he was talking about analytics and all that, uh, and like letting guys like Kobe and Zach maybe shoot a few more mid range shots because. Under Boylan's offense, they were like, and even Lowry as well. Uh, they were talking. I mean, it was like just no mid-range shots at all. I think there's a balance that they could find there. Just in general, though, the offense just has to be a lot better. And, and that kind of also goes back to Kobe White being—he's him taking over as the lead point guard. If Kobe White can develop as that lead guy and that lead playmaker, the offense should be better. So a lot of that probably is up to him. Some of it's going to be up to Lowry bouncing back. He's got to shoot better. He's—we need to see him shoot better than league average from three like it'd be really nice to get him up to 37 38 percent i think we know what we're gonna get from zach i don't know if he's got another jump in him but i mean we'll get what 25 a game again probably from him i mean maybe not as much maybe they'll try to spread the scoring out a bit more i don't know kobe kobe will try to score more if we try to get larry Moore and wendell involved more maybe we'll see about that but i mean we know we basically know i think we're gonna get from zach it's can kobe develop as that point guard can lowry bounce back a bit get his three-point shooting up. Will Wendell take that step as an offensive player? Like, all these question marks, I mean, it's, it's with those core guys, and I guess Otto, Otto also plays a role. If he stays healthy, he could shoot around 40% from three. Um, we'll see. Like I said, as much as we like to talk about that blitzing defense and how annoying that was, like, the offense was the biggest problem last season. So is there anything that you're looking for out of this offense, outside, not, not including Kobe White since we talked about him, anything else you'd like to see that could help this offense make a big jump? Well, what I think is interesting is, like, they scored so much off turnovers last year, yeah. like, historically high, best in the league, you know, best in the league over seven or eight seasons, and their offense still finished 29. <laughs> yeah. So now you're not relying on your defense to give you offenses often. So what does that look like? But I do think that, like, just taking away zeros on offense, like honestly, Chris Dunn, yeah. and to a lesser extent, Shaq Harrison, should be a big boost. I think that availability really comes into this because when Otto went down last year, the Bulls had no one else who could measure up to uh, what he could give them on the wing. And, you know, I think that that's sort of where this year gets interesting, kind of, is like, can the the vision of you know the core that Garpack's been building up can they do anything on offense because we didn't see it under Boylan whatsoever and Boylan felt like they had to alter the defensive strategies to sell out so hard to try to manufacture a little offense because they couldn't get it in the half court so any improvement the Bulls can make in terms of their half court offense is going to be absolutely welcome I thought that you know running it through Carter and trying to give Carter belief in his own perimeter game was probably the best way to do it. Uh, you could say the same thing about Lowry too. Obviously Lowry didn't like the way he was being used last year. And if you look at all the quotes from Levine, from Lowry, from Daniel Gafford, 
you can just tell that no one on this team was happy with the schemes last year. So yep. like, oh, yeah. even though they all said the right thing and they seem like they played relatively hard for Jim Boylan, I don't think effort was yep. really the problem. But these are also smart guys who have been playing basketball their whole lives and been going against the best players in the world as pros and who know what effective strategy and tactics looks like and what it doesn't look like. And they all knew that last year they're playing at a deficit because of how Boylan was coaching the team. So I think that, you know, I don't think that Billy Donovan should really be viewed as like a total savior just because I I, I don't think anyone really uh, viewed him. I guess, you know, last season he did do really well with the Thunder. There's no doubt about that when he had Chris Paul. But he, it's like the bar is just so low. Right, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I was going to say, I do think it is dangerous to just assume that the Boylan to Donovan jump means like the Bulls are all of a sudden going to be like good. Like this roster still has, has totally unproven for the most right. part in terms of like a collective as and being having success as a unit. Some of these guys, Zach Levine has great individual stats. He has never been on a team that's even sniffed the playoffs. Like Kobe White's a fun score, but as, as like a team impact winner, like not, we haven't seen it. Larry Markkinen, same way. And he was obviously had a down year last year. Uh, Wendell Carter and is, hasn't either. Like he's been nice, some nice defensive uh, showings at times, but like his offense hasn't come around. So like, while like a lot of intriguing individual parts uh, by itself, like they haven't been able to come together. We're hoping that Billy Donovan can help bring that out of them. But I think it is dangerous to assume as bad as Boylan was that just going from Boylan Donovan means like the bulls are ready to take some huge jump. I'm they could, I'm not going to, I'm not going to rule it out, but I think you can't assume that for sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the uh, comments about how just like the guys just like clearly like <laughs> about about boiling about just the last regime in general i know zach on that first day of of media week or whatever had the comment about like how he just likes how he's able to like talk to this new staff in the new front office and just like talk every day and like how they're willing to listen and like take ideas zach was like you know that really wasn't that really wasn't the case with the last like group here like just a clearly uh, a jab at the last regime uh whether it's boiling, whether it's the front office, like, I mean, just the stubbornness, I think the stubbornness with the front office, the stubbornness with Jim Boylan, which is obviously evident from, from everything we saw there. So Zach clearly noticing how they're just a bit more, a bit more willing to collaborate. They're more open. They're open there. We've heard, like you mentioned, like Lowry has talked about how he likes how these, like they're open, like Billy Donovan talking, like asking him where he likes the ball. We've seen, we've heard that from other guys as well. So it's definitely, it's nice to hear that just the more collaborative environment, more flexibility. I think that should definitely help. Again, I don't want to say it's definitely going to like lead to like a huge jump, but it does seem like it should at least hopefully unlock uh, some of the some of the skills that these guys supposedly have. Well, again, whether that actually translates to a lot of wins, it'll be tough early on, but maybe maybe it will. Um, I feel like there was another quote that I had seen. Maybe that might have been just. I think it was just that Zach, that main Zach one, and then you mentioned like Gafford as well. I think Gafford also addressed his. Uh, I don't have it pulled up right now, but Gafford addressed the Boylan comments when he made when he was like on that stream, uh, and he like cl- took a clear shot at Boylan. I think he's like, you know, like I was just like giving my honest opinion, man. He was just, it was just like, it was legit criticism. It's like, yeah, like they they just clearly <laughs> did not really buy what he was selling and it's just it's just very obvious based on just some of the comments that they've been, they've made over the last week for sure so i want to bring up another storyline from this training camp and that is lowry markinen possibly getting an extension yep. and it's his future on the state of the team so you wrote about this at forbes uh lowry at camp said he's putting pressure on his agent to get it done so I think, you know, we've talked about Lowry quite a bit yeah. over the last year. Uh, I think that seems like everyone in the entire NBA is still totally uncertain of whether or not he's any good. There <laughs> are now more detractors than backers, I would say. Like, the needle is starting to turn a bit on Lowry Markinen, and it's turning towards disappointing. But, obviously, from the Bulls' perspective even though you just likely drafted another player at his position, at least defensively, in Patrick Williams, uh, the Bulls don't want to lose Markkinen for nothing because they would spend a top 10 pick on him. He has shown promising flashes of scoring ability, though it's never been sustained. So, Jason, what do you think would be a fair deal for the Bulls and Lowry Markkinen? And what is your anticipation in terms of how this plays out? So as you mentioned, I wrote about this at Forbes, and we've talked about how we've long thought that we just think it'd be hard... For them to like find common ground, but again, like you said, that Lowry's 
putting pressure on his agent. Like, again, maybe that's media day bluster kind of stuff. But, and then AK also said, oh, yeah, we love him. Like, we'd love to get a deal done. Again, I think you got to take that with a grain of salt. Media day stuff, like, you're not going to, it's not going to come out and bash him. Like, maybe he's just saying that. Like, who knows how far apart they are in negotiations, what Lowry actually wants. Like, after this last season and what Lowry's shown, like, you, I mean, you can't be out there offering, like, over, like, a huge contract. Like, he's obviously not getting anywhere close to, like, a max deal. Um, so, like, what I wrote in that article was, like, you look at some of the other contracts around the league for, I know Casey did this as well. He's, like, been bringing up uh, Davis Burton signing uh, five-year, $80 million. So, that's $16 million a year for a guy who's one of the best shooters in the NBA. Like, Burt, like, and there was this, uh, this conversation was also happening in the bloggable comments, kind of, like, comparing Burton's and marketing. And, like, you're, like, like in a vacuum, like, Especially with the, where the Bulls are, like, yeah, you're probably like taking Lowry Markin for the long haul, but Bertans at least has an elite NBA skill. We have not seen that from Lowry. He's like hasn't really proven that he's really any good at anything in the NBA outside of free throw shooting. Like he's been an average three point shooter. He's an okay rebounder. He's a passable defender, I guess. Uh, he doesn't really score inside that well. Like we just did not see the aggressiveness. Like we've seen it at times. Like and we always point to the 25 and 12 or whatever he had that February. Like, I think a lot of people still kind of hang their head on that being like his ceiling and that he can do that. Like, I mean, there's no evidence he could do that over a full season and like, and hold up. Like there's not, not at all. So like thinking about that and his value coming off a low point after last season and him possibly hitting restricted free agency. Like a lot of these guys who think like he'll, he'll he might want to pull a Jimmy Butler and do that. I'm going to bet on myself in year four going into restricted free agency. There's a lot more money out there next year in free agency in 2021. All it takes is one team to give him some massive offer in free agency. That's why I've always thought that he, that the Bulls and him just aren't going to come to agreement. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe he actually would like to sign. So like, I'm looking at something like, again, I mentioned Bertans at 60 million a year, like something around that. Like if you're looking at maybe like four, I've kind of gone between like 460 and like 470, 472. So that's somewhere between like 15 to 18 million a year. I think over four years, I think it's relatively fair. Like that's basically like average starter money, I guess. Uh, and so you're kind of banking on his potential, but then you're locking him in. I think that would make him, I don't think that would make him hard to trade as long as he doesn't like totally fall off a cliff, like, like even worse this year. So you're just kind of locking him in at, a, at a, like a decently reasonable average salary over the next three, four years, whatever. So I think you could trade him down the line if you really wanted to, you don't worry about losing him for nothing. Uh, I know you can't always match, but like if a team, comes out next offseason and like throws him a huge deal but you don't feel great about it like are you gonna match like a 20 something like over 22 23 million i don't know about that so like again i've i've gone up to around 18 million as like my top of the line right now maybe if you do like maybe if it's three years maybe go a little shorter something i will bring up though is his cap hold is 20 million so you're definitely not going over 20 million for the cap hold because of uh with whatever cap space next off season, which is something else that AK brought up in terms of like not doing anything this off season. They're talking about uh, trying to keep that cap space for next off season. That's like a whole other conversation. I'm not even worried about that as much right now, but you do want to keep that in mind somewhat. So you're not going to offer over tw- like a contract that is paying Lowry over 20 million this year. I mean, that's just too much anyways, but with the cap hold thing there, that's also something to consider. So like I said, I'm looking at something between like 15 to 18 million over four years. What do you think? Man, it would be, it, it's a really tough decision for the franchise because yeah, that I agree. sort of the momentum of Lowry's developmental arc has really kind it's of not good. started to dissipate. And now yeah. it's like, is this guy even any good? And while I do think you would probably be able to move him, you don't want to give him like a terrible Albatross contract. Right. Yeah. Agreed. So I don't know. Like I thought what probably would have been the best move is to see what his market was like this off season and to flip him. So maybe the Bulls did poke around on his market and maybe they found out that, you know, there wasn't anything that they thought would count as good value for him. Uh, I think like maybe you could try to hope for a sign and trade uh, a year. You could, now, yeah. And hopefully he's able to rebuild his value a little bit. But uh, I don't really know. I don't like the idea of signing him to an extension right now. I don't think. Uh, while it- I think that's totally fair. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 like I said, when I was writing that thing, I was kind of going back for like, I was even questioning whether I wanted to go up to like 18. Like, I think if you sign him to like four, like that low end, like 460 right now and 15 million a year, I think that's totally fine. You bank on the potential a bit. It's not like a huge deal. I mean, like I said, 15 million a year is kind of just like a whatever kind of, the, the salary cap will be going up a bit, even with all the stuff that's been going on. So, like, I don't think that's terrible. Once you start getting up to whatever, like I said, 18, anything higher than that, then you really just start like, 
he just has not shown enough. Like, I know there's some fans, like I said, I think some fans are, because I had some people in my mentions like, oh, you know, you give him like over 20 million a year on extension. It's like, he just has not shown that he deserves any of that. Like, if he, like, if he comes out and like play and pulls a Jimmy Butler and plays his ass off and, like I said, he's not going to be as good as Jimmy Butler was in that year four, but like, if he comes out and does something similar and just like takes a legitimate leap, like, sure, I'll gladly possibly sign him to whatever he wants. Not, not, not like a max, but like, I'll pay him a lot more and feel a lot better about it. But like right now, are you really banking on that? Like, I, I just don't think you can do it, especially with the injury history as well. All right. Well, just wrapping up here, there was one other little piece of news that's come out with the Bulls recently. And it's not really news per se, but they are having new city edition jerseys. We've seen them for a couple weeks at this point, at least. They're modeled after the marquee at the Chicago Theater. So that like architecture, I think was like the inspiration, like Chicago architecture, I believe something like that. Yeah. And the Chicago theater stuff as well. But yeah. Give me a school letter grade on this Jersey. <laughs> oh man. So when I first saw it, I, I was like not impressed at all. Uh, I think it's fine. I'd probably say maybe like a B minus C plus. Like I don't love it. I don't hate it. There are some, cause there's some of these city jerseys that are absolutely fucking terrible. And I, I don't even know how many are actually, I would consider that good. I have to like, go look at a full list. Like, I wouldn't consider this one good. I don't think it's bad. Like I said, there are some real bad ones. Uh, I think it's fine. Like I said, B minus C plus. I, I guess I appreciate that they tried something different. They went, they've done a lot of stuff with like the flag, the flat, the Chicago flag stuff. And they, they tried something different this year. So I appreciate that. Like, it's what it's a black jersey and there's like the gold and the red so like i don't i appreciate the effort to try something different i don't think it's heinous or anything like that i don't love it yeah so like whatever c plus b minus i think how about you yeah i was gonna say the same thing i, I thought you <laughs> would go higher than me uh you know you bought a lowry jersey of the first city edition jersey right i did you mentioned yeah that. I, that was the black one yeah. the chicago with the chicago flag on the front i just i, I do like black jerseys in general so like the fact that this one was black with the gold and red, like I kind of, I kind of like that. And like the font is, is fine. Like it doesn't really like stand out that much. Like I did really like that black, like the Lowry one I have, the city with the flag. I thought that was really cool. And then they did like the white one, which I did not. I, the white jerseys in general, just not really my thing. Uh, I don't even remember what else. Did they do a blue one too? Which I didn't love that one as much either. It's just because blue is just like so different than what bulls are. I think black. I think red. So at least, at least like this one kind of goes to that a bit. So like I said, yeah, I don't, I don't love it, but I, I, I like that other one with the one that I have, the flag one a little bit better, but this one is, it, it's not, it's not too bad. I think it's grown on me at least a little bit since I first saw it, but still don't totally love it. Well, at least they're not rocking the, uh, sleeved Christmas jerseys anymore. Oh um, God. That like gray is really the worst jersey in Bulls history, I think. Yeah, those were brutal. Are there any any of these city adjacent jerseys that you really do like? Like I said, I had to look at them again. Memphis is sick. They're good. I think was it? I think the Hornets have a pretty good one with their Buzz City. The Miami, I love the Miami Vice stuff. Like this one, and this one's like really interesting because they're like combining. They're doing like the blue, light blue, and pink like combining into one or whatever that's super interesting i actually bought the jimmy Butler like light blue vice wave jersey during the finals when i was a little drunk and i lo- i mean i love that one i love the the black one that they had the vice night so i've always been a fan of the heat, heat ones i think like the timberwolves have taken a step down because i love when the timberwolves had the prince ones i think the ones they just released weren't that great like i said i'd have to look again but uh with the memphis what were the memphis ones was that is that music related or Mark yeah Mark, really like, part think, of their soul soul yeah. history yeah, it was the Hawks that I think had MLK inspired yeah, ones. Yeah, that one's also awesome. Yeah. yeah, there's like half of them are really good, or not half of them, but a few of them are really good. And then some of them are just brutally bad. Yeah. <laughs> so the Bulls, are, I think, are kind of in the middle. Yeah, I would I would agree, which it's, it sounds about right for where this franchise is at right now. Um, fin- actually, let's finish up with something else. James Harden stuff. Absolutely fucking bonkers. Uh, he is not reported to Houston yet. He has been seen. He was like last week, he was celebrating in Atlanta for, I believe it was a little baby's birthday. And then like the last, over the last couple of days, he was in Vegas. There have been Instagram posts with him. And like today it came out that, uh, that they don't know when he's coming in. It's <laughs> just been really goofy. as so, hell. like, it seems like he's blatantly trying to force a trade, I know we, we know that he supposedly wants to go to the Nets. Like, I'm not really sure what the Rockets are going to do. Like, I feel bad for Steven Silas. 
the new head coach there, and they, and they just traded for – they made the Russ and John Wall trade, and there were the rumors that came out that Harden wanted John Wall, and he preferred to play with John Wall over Russ at this point. But now he's not showing up. He's out there in COVID times fucking partying in Vegas, being goofy as hell, not showing up. Um, so th- this, this kind of spurned over the weekend. Our guy C. Red Fred did a – did a poll about the Bulls possibly looking into a James Harden trade. And it was something like Zach Levine, one other member of the, of the core that you like the least, 2021 unprotected first round pick. I don't think that'd be enough for James Harden at this point. You're assuming the Rockets, unless, I mean, unless at this point they just really would be de- desperate to trade him. I and mean, they should hold on strong. He's still got a couple years left on his deal. I think you'd probably have to at least add a few more first round picks to that offer. But just that offer in general. The, the, and the poll, I think, was 60, only 60-40, which I think just tells you, like, how much people, like, hate James Harden. Because, like, in, totally. if you look at that in a vacuum, like, taking out Harden's just, like, what people think about him. Like, it's Zach Levine who's oh, – whatever. I, we think he's underrated, but he's still Zach Levine. Say, like, say it's, like, Zach Levine, Lowry Marketing, and a first-round pick for James Harden. Like, in a vacuum, like, that should be a fucking no-brainer. And, like, 40% of fans said, no way. And, like, I, had a, I was having a conversation with a lot of people – about like that and why they wouldn't want him. So he's not a leader. Like he never wins He's a choke artist. Well, I mean, if you look at the bull, who's actually a winner and the leader on the bulls, nobody right now, but what would, what would you be like? Not He's obviously not going to the bulls. James Harden's not going to the bulls. He'd be mad if he went to the bulls too. And would probably just want to trade it again. What would you be comfortable giving up for James Harden? A lot, especially with two years left on his deal. And then he'd opt in next year. Yeah. Like I would trade, whatever probably to get him. And I do think that like a lot of the hardened criticism throughout his career has been overblown in terms of people, uh, you know, trying to blow up his playoff struggles or whatever. When, if you look at his basketball reference page, his numbers in the playoffs are like absolutely amazing. There is, he just has a few really high profile, like bad botches. Like, yeah, like the, the finals with the thunder, he was bad, but he was whatever, like 21. And then, like, that Spurs game where they lost without, I think, without Kawhi. They got smoked. Like, that was bad. And then, I mean, 0 for 27 when they blew the, the Warriors series. But that's still the fucking Kevin Durant Warriors. So, like, yeah. it's, it's like, people, like, you say, like, oh, he's, like I said, he's a choke artist. Like, yeah, he's had some bad games. Like, he's not a winner. It's like, who on the Bulls is a winner? <laughs> like, no one, like, he'd be, um, obviously, immediately your best player by miles and miles. He's still the t- best, one of the best scorers in the league, if not the best. So, like... Yeah, and just yeah. Like the whole like, oh, well, you, can't, can't, you can't win a championship with him. Like, who on the like roster? Who on the like? You expect to win with this core on the Bulls? Like, and even then, like, you could you have all these core guys. Like, say you try to maybe two of them, three of them, maybe another pick or two. You still have a couple left over, uh, and some other decent parts. Like, I feel like if you tra- if you made that trade that Fred like offered, whatever Lowry first round pick. Say it was Lowry Zach first round pick, and then a couple more first round picks, maybe some pick swaps. If you're still left over with whatever Kobe White, uh, I mean Adam Porter, Wendell Carter, Patrick Williams, maybe one of the maybe one of those guys is involved as well. I don't know. I mean that's a team that's probably winning what in like a regular 82 game season, probably 50 plus games, and could be a conference finals team. I mean, and then you're and then you're maybe one move away from being a legit title contender. Like, so like as much as hard, I like I like to clown Harden and obviously like all the strip club stuff and all this goofiness he's pulling like is is ridiculous and it's making people hate him even more and. I'm curious to see what the league does and what the Rockets do if they punish him at all for that. But like, if you got him and like he was actually happy, like I do wonder how, like how much he just hates playing for the Rockets now and like playing for Tillman for Tita. Like there's rumors out there that he that he hates Tillman and his cheap ass. Uh, I know like there was I think Rohan Matt Carney from Sports Illustrated put out something today that he think he views the Rockets as a <laughs> the Knicks of the South and the culture is toxic. You do wonder how much Harden is. Leading is uh, part of that toxic culture, but I, that seems like it has to be a shot at Tillman Fertitta there. So, like, if yeah. he went to the, a decent Bulls team, like maybe he'd be happy in a bit in the, another big market in Chicago. With, like I said, I know Jerry Ryan doesn't have the best rep as an owner, but like with this new front office, uh, maybe more maybe player oriented, uh, maybe he'd be happy, and maybe you'd have a team that could be really good. Again, it's not going to happen, but like. I would de- like. I would definitely, for sure, be willing to still give up a lot for James Harden. Yeah, I'm, I'm very. My, I just, my only point ahead. that I was going to say is that, like, I think a lot of the criticism that he has been getting throughout his career has been mostly overblown. Now, I think, kind of, fuck you, James Harden. Like, him, what he's doing right now sucks. Oh yeah, it's terrible. It's a joke. He's yeah. Totally breaking the league's protocol 
for how guys are supposed to quarantine before they show up to practice. So like while he should have been at the individual workouts right now, instead he's just flexing on Instagram about being out in Atlanta last that was on Friday at little baby's birthday. Now last night he's in Las Vegas. Vegas. Uh, and he's not quarantining at all. He's putting himself at risk. Yeah. For coronavirus, but like, then he's going to go put everyone else in the team at risk. Even if they do make him quarantine for a little bit, whatever, there's still a lot of people around him who are going to be at risk. Right. Like, and now you remember the fact that the league's not doing a bubble this year. So the players are going to be traveling city to city. And if players act this recklessly and just really don't give a fuck about, uh, you know, CDC guidelines, let alone the league rules. It's not just that games are going to get canceled. And that's basically been happening throughout college basketball and college basketball. We just had number one versus number two yeah. canceled yeah. this weekend, Gonzaga versus Baylor. Uh, we just saw an NFL game team play a game when the Broncos with no quarterbacks had to play a wide receiver from the practice. And <laughs> there was a game on a Wednesday. So it's not even just that, you know, this could very easily or like, you know, behavior like this could impact the schedule, but like it could also kill people. We're looking at Carl Town saying he's lost seven family members, yep. including his mom, to the virus. So Harden is just it's not just that he doesn't care about the Rockets. And personally, I don't care too much about him, like honoring his contract or whatever. I think that if you look at how Anthony Davis forced his way out, how Jimmy Butler forced his way out, uh, you know, both those guys' careers definitely improved and they were in a position to, you know, reach their own individual ceilings uh, when they forced their way out of bad situations. So I'm sort of fine with that from Harden's perspective. I'm not fine with him just like touring around the country partying yeah, and then projecting sure. to show up and everyone acting like it's no big deal, especially when the league's not doing a bubble this year, which, you know, I just saw an alert on my phone as we were starting this podcast that Draymond and James Wiseman didn't participate today in Warriors training camp. And it's like, and Steve Kerr was basically like, yeah, you could draw your own conclusions well, on that. I don't think we, I don't think we even brought this up yet. Garrett Temple is quarantining right now. We see tested positive last week. The Bulls, one Bulls free agent signing has not been able to participate yet. We see tested positive. Yeah. So Typically, I love Harden as a player. I legitimately think that most of the criticism he catches is overblown and that he's one of the greatest shooting guards ever, even though obviously there, you know, it's not hard to build a case against him uh, just because of his lack of championships and high level winning. But uh, in this instance, I feel like Harden's just acting ridiculously. Yeah. It just seems like if I'm the Bulls, I would still trade whatever for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we have, what exactly are you giving up? Like, yeah. I, I said, I do think a lot of fans still like believe in the Bulls' young guys. They want to see the young guys come together as a core and get better. Like, I get it, I understand it, but in this case, I don't think you're really giving up that much if you're trading a few young guys and some draft picks for James Harden. I know he's 31, but I think he's still got some great years left. As long as he's happy, if you make him happy, sure, do it. But again, it's not the Bulls are not trading for James Harden. If they trade for James Harden, that'd be a lot of fun and would be pretty cool for us. But uh, I think that's we've gone on enough now for this. I guess just bring it full circle. The Bulls' first preseason game is against the Houston Rockets yeah, this yeah. Friday, so I'm guessing James Harden will not be there and will not be playing in that game. But the Bulls will be uh, again. So that's Friday night is will be the first preseason game. I believe they have. And then they have another one, I think, against the Rockets, I think, on Sunday. And then they have a couple against the Oklahoma City Thunder. And then the season starts in basically two weeks from now. So super exciting stuff. Uh, Ricky, any final thoughts here before we wrap up? Nah, dude. Bulls are back. They're playing a preseason game this week. Pretty yeah, great. Let's, let's do it. Uh, so as always, for us here at Cash Considerations, shout out to the Blue Wire Network. Uh, with the NBA season back and all this stuff happening, go check out all the other great NBA pods across the network. Shout out to our sponsors, Indeed Bet Online, and for us, Cash, rate and review us wherever you listen to your pods. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. Uh, let us know how we're doing. You know where to find us on Twitter at Bulls underscore J at SB underscore Ricky. Let us know if there's anything you want us to talk about, how, how we can do anything better. So for Cash Considerations, it's been Jason and Ricky. Talk to you guys next time. Bulls are back. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. 
Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.